Well, how amazing to hear about lives being transformed, don't you think? Absolutely fantastic. God doing things amongst people day by day, and God absolutely radically transforming lives. Absolutely fantastic. Well, we are suitably in a series where we're looking at the Holy Spirit, and I hope you found it helpful. I've been hearing that from various people. Today, we're going to look at fruit, how the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us, helping us to live fruitful lives. It's a very, we're going to look at what tends to be a very familiar passage, maybe not to everybody, but to many. So I want to tackle it slightly differently. If you used to be in Sunday school decades ago like I did, you'll remember that we used to have memory verses. Anybody remember memory verses? Yeah, I can't remember any of them, but never mind. Here's the memory statement for today. Ready? Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. Everybody, one, two, three. Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. Right, we're going to read Galatians chapter 5. We're jumping in the middle of Paul's letter, of course. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. There is so much in that passage, some of which we're going to pick out in a moment. But firstly, I want to start this way. A word about disappointment. I wonder how you feel about those two contrasting lists. The works of the flesh or the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit. You see, God desires that I increasingly turn away from the things listed in verses 19 to 21. And his desire, his intent is that I increasingly become like Jesus, described in verses 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I wonder how you feel about those lists. I had some thoughts and feelings about those lists as I looked at it this week. It got to Tuesday in my week, and Tuesday I headed home at lunchtime to start preparing this message. I usually spend 
three blocks of two or three hours trying to put a message together and then a bit on Sunday morning. And as I walked home, I was disappointed with myself. I hadn't honestly done anything massive, but I was disappointed with myself. I'd come out of the office where the elders usually sit upstairs. I came to the main office, and there was just banter going on. And banter's a good thing, but banter's a slightly dangerous thing. Have you noticed that? Because as this banter was going on, out of my mouth slipped a silly comment. I can honestly say to you, it wasn't sinful, it wasn't awful. <clears throat> I guess that anybody in hearing probably can't remember, they probably think, well, I don't remember you saying anything. Or actually, maybe they're all still talking about it. I don't know. <laughs> to me, though, it was just really disappointing. Why did I say that sort of thing? And I knew I was going home to look at these two contrasting lists of characteristics. Now, I don't tend to be usually down on myself in a really hard way. But I do find sometimes that I'm disappointed with myself. Don't you? Yeah, you do. Things you do. Things you don't do. Traits you have. Qualities you don't have. Regrets. Fears. And we all experience them in various ways. I experience those as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a pastor, as a friend. Sometimes I see some of those acts of the sinful nature and just wish they weren't in me. And I don't see as much of the fruit of the Spirit, those qualities, as I wish I did. And yet in me, and if you're a Christian this morning, in you is a genuine and sincere desire that those qualities in verses 22 to 23 might become increasingly true in us. And even if you're not a Christian this morning, they're massively attractive qualities, and you would like to grow in those as well. I want to be more like Jesus, which those qualities sum up so well, to love God and to love people with all that I've got. What am I to do? Well, I could take a couple of approaches. The first could be to descend into despair. Maybe you've done that sometimes. You sort of feel like, I might as well just give up. I've tried and tried. I'm not living out verses 22 to 23. Verses 19 to 21 seem to be all too prevalent in my life. I might as well give up as a complete failure, or at least say to God, Lord, you know I'm human. What do you expect? Well, there's, an, there's just an ounce of truth in that, in that it's wise to learn your limitations. I can't be everything. Maturity is partly accepting my limitations, but it's absolutely not to descend into despair. So not despair. What about this one? We all try this one from time to time. Determination. If I'm not going to despair, maybe what I've got to do is muster up some more internal determination. I'm going to try harder from now on. 
And let's face it, there is a, that plays its part, doesn't it? Every Christian who's read the New Testament knows that this is a battle that we have to absolutely apply ourselves to. That's very clear through the New Testament in lots of Paul's writings. But it's not despair, and it's not only determination that leads to fruitfulness. Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. So I have got good news for you today. I've got good news that you don't need to despair and quit on yourself. I've got good news for you that though determination is part of it, it's not the only answer. I've got great news for you from this passage today. Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. Firstly, let's look at dependence. Now to see the answer to being fruitful, we need to hear the message to this point in Galatians. You've got to be very careful whenever you just dive into the middle of a book. It'd be a bit like, you know, I've just been reading a novel at home. If I started it halfway through, it'd be a bit weird. I'd have not got the thread up to that point. We need to be careful. We need to be careful here. You see, this message in Galatians as a whole is this, that Paul has heard reports that the various churches in Galatia are falling for a so-called gospel that is no gospel at all. And he is the strongest he probably is in any of his letters. He is utterly horrified that they are leaving Jesus only in favor of a Jesus plus adherence to Old Testament law. Particularly circumcision. He is literally Horrified. If he says this in chapter 2. If righteousness, being right with God, could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That's a really stark statement. If you're going to hold on to obeying law after law after law in order to be right with God, well, you might as well say, Jesus, that was pointless. That's shocking. He also says the law was good but temporary until Christ came that we might be justified through faith. And he goes on to try and convince them and help them to get back to what he's taught them, that it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that anyone, Jew or Gentile, can equally become members in God's family, apart from adherence to Old Testament law. Don't go back to what Christ has set you free from. Don't go back to it in order to get right with God, and don't go back to it in order to regulate your relationship with God. So by the time we get to 5 verse 13 where we started, there are a couple of like questions behind the statements, and it goes a bit like this, if I can fill in some extra lines reverently uh, to this text. The question behind verse 13 goes a bit like this. Well, well, if we've been set free from obeying Old Testament law, can we just indulge our sinful natures? It's a bit like if the government said, there are no laws in this country anymore. It would be a riot. It would be chaos. It's a little bit like that. That's the question behind this. If there's no Old Testament law to obey anymore, can we just indulge our sinful natures? And God won't mind? And Paul, Paul is, is horrified. He's, no, of course not. You were set free 
not so you can selfishly indulge your sinful nature, but so that you can live a life of love for God and others. That's what you've been set free for. And then there's a question behind verse 16 following. It goes a bit like this. But if we don't, I mean, they must have been a bit simple, but if we, if we don't have laws, Old Testament law to regulate our behavior, how will we know what a fruitful life is? And more importantly, how will we be able to live that life? And that's where this intersects with my disappointment at the beginning. How am I going to live this life? If I've been set free to live a fruitful life of love for God and others, how am I going to live that if there's no law to tell me how to do that? You see, it's not just Old Testament law. Christians are very good at setting up Christian law. And saying, if I'm going to live right for God, if I'm going to be fruitful, I need to do this and I need to do that and I need to do the other and so on and so on. Either to help me feel right with God or to regulate my life with God. Paul would say the same. No, it's not by law. So I still haven't given you an answer yet. How can I bear fruit like that listed in verses 22 to 23. Well, it's not simply through greater determination, but through greater dependence on the power of the Spirit living in me. Notice something very simple. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. That doesn't mean I don't need to be determined to cooperate with him, but it's a fruit that comes from dependence. It's a fruit of the Spirit at work in me. His power, his life at work in me. Which leads me to think of Jesus' own words in John chapter 15, where he said this. Different language, Very, very similar point. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Determination won't do it alone. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now in the Old Testament, the vine or the vineyard was a common picture of God's people. It's like he'd he'd planted them and he'd planted them to be fruitful. And yet cycle after cycle after cycle, his people can't bear fruit. They don't bear fruit. It's like they're just following the desires of the sinful nature of their flesh rather than producing fruit after God's own character. And yet, and yet there is a promise. Remember, we've read this before. There's a promise. There are various promises in the Old Testament that that unfruitful people will become a fruitful people. Here's one of those promises. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God says, I know you're fruitless. 
I know know you're failing. I know you're powerless to produce fruit. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you more than an external law. Follow this. Do that. Don't do the other. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do an internal work in you. And by internal work in you, by putting my spirit in you, will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. Don't you feel the need of that? I need more than a to-do list. I need more than a don't-do list. I need power in here, don't you? Power in order to live this life. And then Jesus comes. All these promises, all this failure, all these promises. And then Jesus comes and he says this. And you've got to understand the Old Testament background and the common image of vine and vineyard when he comes and says, I am the true vine. He's saying this. I am the truly fruitful one. Israel has been fruitless. He has come as the promised son, as the servant of God, and he's going to be truly fruitful where there's been so much fruitlessness in the past. And he's saying this as well. He's saying about himself, but he's saying this as well. For all of you who will stay intimately connected with me, you will be fruitful by that connection to me. Isn't that good news? My life will flow through you. I had a friend in our church in Torquay, and uh, I've mentioned him before. He became seriously ill. In fact, he was ill for the last seven years of my being there. Um, And in the end, he needed um, some stem cell treatment. And so they performed the operation. And the one change that his wife noticed in him didn't seem to help his health all that much. The one change she noticed was this. His eyebrows changed color. <laughs> and the theory was this. They changed, I don't know why eyebrows, they changed to the color of the donor. Now in a much more profound way, the promise of Ezekiel, what Jesus is coming to say, how Paul says we're meant to live is like this. You want to change to be more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, etc., etc. Don't just try a to-do list. Try my life in you. Because the life of Jesus in you is that life, isn't it? He is Loving, joyful, patient, peaceful, etc., etc., etc. So it's his life we need in us. It's a bit like you grow up in a family. Here's a young lady here. You grow up in a family. And like it or not, parents, they take on some of your traits. They don't like some of your traits, so they rebel against those. We've all done some of that. I don't want to be like my parents. But you're also very much like your parents because you're immersed in that life, in that family. How are we going to live the life of verses 22 and 23? By the life of the Spirit in us. Now listen to this. Counterintuitively, fruitfulness comes not from focusing on the fruit. Otherwise, what you can do is just set up your own Christian law. I must be more loving. I must be more patient. I must be kinder. I must be more self-controlled. I must be more joyful. And as I've said, there's a part where we must cooperate and be determined. But if that's all you do, concentrate on the fruit. I must be this. All you've done is replaced an Old Testament law with a New Testament law. 
counterintuitively, fruitfulness does not come from focusing on the fruit, but by remaining in the vine, by depending on the vine, by staying connected to the life-giving vine. After all, I'm no horticulturalist, but I know this, it's the vine's life flowing through the branches that produces the fruit anyway. I've never heard of grapes being instructed to try harder. As far as my, I mean, I could be wrong, I'm no horticulturalist, but as far as I'm aware, grapes are produced by staying intimately connected with the life-giving root, with the vine. But what does dependence look like? <laughs> Good question. Practically, what does dependence look like? Well, it looks like the image given in verse 25, where Paul says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, that's how we live, isn't it? That's how we live. We're Christians. We live by the Spirit. Well, in that case, let's keep in step with the Spirit. The word for keep in step with New Testament's written in Greek, is stoikeo, stoikeo. And stoikeo means to walk in line, to walk in strict accordance to a particular pace. It's to keep in step like a soldier would follow their general or their leader. I've got a picture, a very cute picture here for you. I told you it was cute. She's very sweet. People in the office have been laughing at me for weeks now. After all that I've said about dogs, there is now a dog living in my house. Okay, if that's success, I'll take it. There's a dog living in my house. It's not my dog, it's my youngest son, Andrew's dog. She's a puppy. She's very sweet. But she's a puppy, so she's troublesome, lovely and troublesome. And Andrew is trying to train her in all sorts of ways. And one of the ways he's trying to train her is he puts a lead on her, and he's trying to train her to keep in step with him, and to come around with him, and to keep in step, and sit, stay. I don't know what he says after that, maybe just you know, gives her a tug. And keeps going, and keep in step, and keep in step. He's trying to get her to listen to his voice. He's trying to make sure that she will be obedient. That's what a fruitful puppy will look like. Otherwise, you'll be chaos, and it'll be carnage, and it will look like verses 19 to 21 rather than 22 to 23. Keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean for us? It means things like this. It means being in prayer. It means every day saying things like this. Holy Spirit, help me listen to you. There are many things Benny Hinn, some of you will know, which I would completely disagree with, strongly disagree with, but he wrote a book once called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. That's not a bad statement. Let me encourage you to say that. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Help me to hear you today. Help me to keep in step with you, because you're always doing things, and you've got things for me to do. Help me to keep in step. Help me to get used to hearing your voice, which is what Jesus said his sheep 
would do. It means things like this. It means getting the Bible open and saying, Lord, speak to me. This is living. This is active. If I'm not hearing, then there's a problem with me. Help me hear you in this. It means being with other Christians who keep me connected to the vine, who keep me on track, who help provoke me to keep determined to be dependent. All of which is a sheer delight. If that sounds like another task, then you've just missed the whole point. Because it's a sheer delight. It's a sheer delight. What's the phrase? Today's memory statement? Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. It's a delight. Because if I go back to where I started, feeling disappointed sometimes with myself, and I know you're the same, do you know why it's a delight? It's a delight because he is not disappointed with me. Good news? He's not disappointed with me. Here's a great... Why is he not disappointed? Packer said, There is tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me. I was disappointed with myself this week because I was surprised at myself. He's never surprised because he knows everything. He's never disappointed. And especially, he's never disappointed with me because I am clothed in the righteousness of who? Christ. Is he ever disappointing? Is the Father ever disappointed when he looks on Christ? No, so I'm clothed in that. He's never disappointed with me because he sees me clothed in Christ's righteousness. What good news. No shame, no condemnation, only delight. Dependence is delight. Dependence is delight as well because it's delight that empowers fruitfulness. I love this statement from Sam Storms. The essence of loving, living as a follower of Jesus isn't in trying harder, but in enjoying more. I'm not saying you can change without trying. There is some determination. I'm saying that enjoyment empowers effort. Pleasure in God is the power for purity. How am I going to be more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, self-controlled, and so on? I'll tell you how, by staying dependent and by delighting. God, you are amazing. God, you are astonishing. God, thank you you'll be enough for today. Thank you that even when I slip, you will forgive. Thank you I'm dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you you're not disappointed with me. Thank you you're never going to quit on me. God, keep empowering me. Keep helping me live this life you've called me to by the Spirit. Good news, hey? There's power to live this life he's called us to. It's absolutely magnificent. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is, verses 22 to 23. One more time. Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. You've half got that. Dependence and delight are the roots of fruit. We're going to sing a song and we are going to pray. And here's what I want, folks. I think we're getting used to responding again. And I am going to be the first person down here to be prayed with because I know, Lord, I need your power. I'm determined, but I need your power. 
And I think there's probably a whole raft of people in here who need to join me at the front and say, there's no shame in this. I'm just dependent. And I want to stay connected to the vine. And you might say, I know it's this. It's this for me. I know it's this for me. I know what it is. And I'm going to be here. All right? And loads of you are going to come and join me and say, Lord, we're just dependent. We need the fruit of the Spirit at work in us.